Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Well, hello everybody and welcome to The China Shop. I am your host, Kyle, and joining me for today's conversation is the best-selling author and World Cup champion of futures trading, the keen and kosher Kevin Davey. If you'd like to learn more about today's guests, you can check him out on Twitter at KJ Trading, or you can visit his YouTube channel at Algo Trading with Kevin Davey. We will have those links in the episode description. Uh, and if you'd like to reach out with some suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests, you can do that via our email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com, or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people get together, share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. We'll have those links in the episode description as well. But now that we got the uh, the business stuff out of the way, let's let's get to know today's guest. How are you doing today, Kevin? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, Kyle. Oh, well, this, I think you were the first person who ever sent me a, an actual mail to, <laughs> to pitch yourself. I, I, I'm hoping that you you don't do that for everybody, but you know, uh, you know, for my ego. But I'm assuming that uh, that's just great. <laughs> great uh marketing or outreach on you yeah just a little uh promo thing just to let some of the uh top podcasts know that i'm out there because sometimes it's not always to, easy to find people especially just via email you know emails get lost and stuff so trying to personalize them a little bit for you i'm wondering how you found my i was wondering how you found my address because <laughs> i think <laughs> that it didn't even go to like the business address it came to my house it's like damn you're good Ah, yeah, that wasn't me. That was uh, somebody I was working with. They were they were able to track you down, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, I, I, I kind of touched on some of the stuff you're doing. You've written some great books, um, The World Cup Champion. You've been runner-up twice and won it once. Uh, like, How did you get started on, on this track? Like, how did you get into the world of it? Well, it was uh, shortly, so this goes back a long ways, by the way, so it goes back 30 years or so, but... Oh, we've got an hour, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> when I got out of college, uh, I had an engineering degree, and so I was from Ohio, and I moved out to California, and because mm. I wanted to live in Los Angeles and be by the beach, and I was in aerospace engineering, and there was a lot of uh, aerospace out there, and so I started working for one of those firms out there. And shortly after I was out there for a while, uh, you know, at first it was real cool. Oh, neat. Everything's neat. And then mm -hmm. after a few months, that was like, Oh, is this it? Is this all there is? And, <laughs> you know, isn't there something more, uh, you know, cause I guess you know, as a young adult, that's kind of what you're always thinking. And, um, then one day in the mail, the U.S. mail, which, uh, you know, now still exists. we don't get a lot of, uh, I got a, it was a pamphlet. It was like, like a book. It was like 20 pages. And it talked about how you could make all this money trading commodities. Hmm. And at the time, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even know anything about this, but I saw Hey, if you would have bought sugar at this price and then added on at this price and this price and this price, 
you would have made a million dollars in like four months or something like that, you know? Right. And of course you would have made it had you taken on incredible risk and <laughs> got out before the market collapsed. <laughs> yeah. I didn't really say that, right, but right. you know, it was some guy selling a course and he claimed that, you know, with, uh, it was like a head and shoulders pattern and hey, you just follow this pattern, and you buy here, you sell here, and yeah, all the money's just going to flow to you. That's kind of what it was. And being a naive uh, early twenties person, I was like hooked. I said, "This is it." And uh, so I sent away for it and tried it. it. Had a money back guarantee, and that's the interesting part because it made you paper trade for like two months. Right. And if you uh, kept records of it and you weren't successful, they'd refund your money. And to their credit, they actually refunded my money because I kept, you know, I took it very seriously and it lost money over that two months. Hmm. But, um, you know, at that point, it didn't matter. I said, okay, well, maybe it's not this method, but this is a great way for somebody who doesn't necessarily have a lot of money to have some leverage tradings, you know, since it's not like buying stocks. Uh, and so then I was kind of hooked on the commodities and the futures market and just went from there, really. I was curious, how, so did you actually learn anything from that experience uh, doing the paper trading? Like, do you feel like you got good value out of the course that you, you signed up for? Or like looking back on it now, I suppose, even though it didn't, you know, lead to extreme riches. Yeah, no, it, it had some useful things in it. Uh, it Obviously, the method it, they taught, I don't think there was much to it. It was, like I said, it was just a simple head and shoulders. Right. But that did start me thinking about patterns and that kind of stuff. And it got me introduced to, oh, hey, these are the pages of the newspaper where commodity prices are, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which normally most people would never even look at. Um, so, you know, I started to just get a feel for all those different markets. So it, in that respect, it did teach me a lot because it kind of opened my, opened my eyes to this whole things with wheat and soybeans and cattle and hogs. So <laughs> that was kind of cool. I think that's one of the things that scares a lot of people away from commodities is just the sheer number of options out there. I, th I mean, I, I, I've been learning to trade um, uh, futures myself, but I stick mostly to ES because that's, I, th I feel like that's the trading wheels one, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's, and, and that one's the most popular. So it, yeah, I like the liquidity. Yeah. You know, I've, I've traded over the years, I've traded things like uh, pork bellies, mm -hmm. which is like bacon, you know, they don't even do that one anymore, but uh <laughs> And some of those markets just were used to be crazy as far as limit moves. And, you know, there's times where the market is a locked limit where you can't even trade. Uh, and so there, hmm. there's definitely reasons that people are scared uh, because there, there's some things that can happen in the futures markets that uh, would take a normal stock trader. Right. And kind of scare them to death yeah i mean losing a dollar on a stock up uh, a stock is you know it takes a while for that move to happen but getting a few points on the futures market can happen instantaneously and if you're positioned wrong yeah it can it can be really bad right and if and since you're leveraged with futures yeah uh it, it can really it can really hurt you know like today for example if you had been in gold gold was uh down early and then up a bunch and you know it's like a couple thousand dollars for one contract of gold so it's a big movement right in one day so why did you start with futures then why didn't you go like the traditional route but like learning on the stocks uh, stocks and options and then working your way up uh, probably the biggest thing was i just didn't have a lot of money at the time oh, you know yeah. i was just out of college and and um, I think I remember right around that time I bought the first stock I ever bought, and that was Walmart. And I think it was I bought like a thousand dollars worth of it, which uh, 
at the time was really scary, but then it's like, oh, it, it's just a thousand dollars, and and I think I doubled it over a couple of years, right? But it it just didn't have uh, the movement that the commodity markets right, had, right. which unfortunately it was. Uh, every time I'd start with commodities, uh, when I started trading for real, I think I started with like a $5,000 account a couple times. And, <laughs> you know, it, it, within a week, I was down a couple thousand dollars, which it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it happened so quick. Right. How long did, that's, it, how long did it take you to, to, to make the transition to full-time? Like from the time that you, you took that first course to the time where you were paying your bills with trading? Well, um, let's see. So that was the late 1980s. So let's just say around 1990 or so. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really go full-time with uh, futures trading until 2008, I think, is when I left my aerospace career behind. And so, you know, you're talking uh, 10, 20, 20 20-some years Mm -hmm. easily. Uh, Now, some of that, I wasn't necessarily always trading during that time sometimes i'd run out of money and <laughs> you know, uh, oh now i'm in learning mode again until i get more money for market tuition and uh, a lot of it was just part-time trading it was more of a hobby God, and so okay. when i won those trading contests it was uh, it was just part-time mm-hmm. and uh yeah it it just as it turned out uh with my full-time career, I just had an opportunity to leave it and get some money when I left. And that was kind of what pushed me to do full-time. Uh, right. I said, well, this is what I love to do. And this, it's just the timing is perfect. So that's why I did it. What do you think was the catalyst or what was the things that you learned that, that switched you from being able to go, be, you know, just the, the hobbyist, the, probably not making a whole lot during that time to to being able to you know take compete in the the world cup championship of futures trading and actually winning it it uh i think it was mainly having the discipline to follow rules uh you know or now they call them algos but i would write out these (laughs) rules and back test them and then you know I started to have some success when I would actually follow the rules and Mm -hmm. not ignore them and say, Oh, well, I'm not going to do that. And then you go off and do something else (laughs) and, uh, or, you know, you take a flyer. Uh, Once I stopped those kind of things and said, okay, well this back test looks like I tested it correctly, which is a whole other issue, you know, most people do it correctly, including myself for a long time. But when you have a good back test, then you, you say, okay, well, I have confidence in that. And then you start to trade like that and it kind of all builds up, but it doesn't happen overnight. That's for sure. Oh yeah. No kidding. I think it's funny that you, you mentioned the uh, algo trading in the same breath as like the rules for your yourself. Like when I think of rules, I think of like risk management, position sizing, um, like the conditions for entry and exit. I never thought of that as like being the baseline of an algo, but I've also tried to simplify my trading to the point where it could be like that. Like I could hand a sheet of paper and be like, here's the criteria. You should be able to trade this now because I have everything written out and defined. Right. And that's, um, it's really for most traders, especially if you've used chart trading or done discretionary trading, it's really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hard to define all your rules. And uh, what I found when you create algos, if you just say, okay, well, I'm only going to do what the computer says, or I'm going to automate this and you know let the computer buy and sell, uh, you've got to be real crystal clear on what those rules are because mm-hmm. you, know, you can't say, well, okay, today I'm not going to, follow the algo because there's a Fed announcement, you know, you start to get into trouble when you do that kind of thing. So in one aspect, it's very uh, rigid. Mm-hmm. And, but the other part of that is it's very uh, 
freeing. It, like, you get a lot of freedom with it because now you know, hey, I just follow those rules and I don't have to worry about some kind of press conference or some kind of Fed announcement or something. I just do what the rules tell me. Right. And, and there's that, that's good psychologically uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, it takes the decision making out of the process. Like the decision making part is already done. Like once you put on that executor hat, you are just looking for set things to happen and clicking a button. Yeah. You don't have to argue with yourself over whether it's a good idea or not, or think about where your take profits are going to be. Those are all defined beforehand. Yep. And that's, uh, for a lot of people, that's a great way to do it because it, it doesn't take the emotion away completely, but it kind of uh, transforms it a little bit. And, and a lot of times people who have emotion problems with their trading, they find they're better off uh, doing the algos. But mm-hmm. that then becomes the problem then becomes when you have a couple losing trades in a row with an algo, then you start to doubt it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then, you say, oh, I'm not going to take this signal. And, and you start doing things like that. So emotions are definitely still a part of it. That's funny. It's actually one of the things I started tracking about a year ago or so uh, was the uh, like whether I would have taken the trade or not to see <laughs> like is is my intuition actually helping or hurting me? Right. And uh, yeah, I think my intuition is uh, not on par with the rules that I've defined. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a great way though to do it, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people uh, never even think of doing that. But hey, if you think your intuition's great, well, write it down when you make these decisions, and then track it. You know, kind of run like a a live test of your intuition, and uh, you'll see if you're good or not. Right, right. Uh, just having data, like it. You mentioned confidence a minute ago, and that was like you start to lose confidence in your setups when like you have two or three days in a row that it's not working. You start to wonder, oh, is it is is the market changed? Is this still good or not? I can't tell. But if you have enough data to support that, then that should help should help build that confidence. Yeah, it definitely does. But, it, you know, at the same time, it's still being in a drawdown and it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, those are emotions it's that... terrible no matter what. <laughs> yes, they're, <laughs> they're never fun to deal with. Uh, you mentioned a minute ago about backtesting and like doing it properly. Like, can you like kind of walk us through your process for like backtesting a new idea? Sure. Uh, you know, one of the, the keys with backtesting is you, so what you're trying to do for those of you, people who are unfamiliar with it, you're really trying to see if what, rules you have would have been profitable historically. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that it'll be profitable in the future. And that's where a lot of people get messed up. They think, well, hey, it's worked the last 10 years. So therefore, oh, it'll work at least the next six months. Well, that doesn't really turn out to be the case. Um, But if you do have a backtest that's profitable, that is much better than having one you know has lost money. Right. You know, it, so there's there's a little bit of correlation, but what it does is it, it just kind of skews the odds maybe in your favor a little bit. Mm-hmm. That let's say you had two approaches, one historically has lost money, one historically has made money. Well, the one that's made money is more likely to make money in the future. Now, where people get messed up is... Uh, a lot of times with any of the trading software that's out there, I use TradeStation, but there's tons of other programs that allow you to put in your rules and then backtest it. There's mm-hmm. NinjaTrader, MultiCharts, there's, you know, there's tons of, of software out there. And unfortunately, with the software, the way it's set up, most of them, is you put your rules in and then at some point you'll see a little box pop up and it'll say, oh, you know, you, let's say you had a breakout length and it will kind of encourage you, well, maybe you want to optimize that, you know, uh, is five yeah. bars good, or 10, 15. And so then what people do is they optimize it. Now I'm going to try five, six, seven, eight, nine, up to 50 bars. And they find out, oh, 32 bars mm-hmm. would have worked great historically. So that's what I'm going to use. 
then they go and they live trade. And of course it falls apart because it's optimized on history, but history never repeats itself. It's always a little bit different. Right. And there's a lot of noise in the markets. And so it's things like that, that most people do back test incorrectly. Interesting. And so, uh, and I used to do it too. I used to, I made every single mistake I think possible with back testing. You know, so many nights I went to sleep thinking, oh my gosh, I've got the market solved. Tomorrow I, I put it to the test and, you know, start raking in the right. millions. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it never worked. It, it, it would always, I'd always lose my, the, the strategies would fall apart. How does this happen? And, <laughs> But over the years, that was my tuition because there there really wasn't a whole lot of help out there back then to tell you how to back test correctly and that kind of thing because it was all sort of all sort of new, really. Right. Uh, not a lot of people were testing and, and doing a lot of things with computers even back then. Well, let me ask you this: like, if somebody had sure. like sat you down and told you like how to do it, would you have even listened at the time? Um, probably not. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> you know. Like doing this podcast, like I've had a lot of really smart individuals like yourself come on and tell me like how to be successful. And half of the time I think, or I, I go through and I learn a lesson and I look back and I'm like, oh, fuck, George told me I, I should have had a trading plan. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. <laughs> so <laughs> there's some, there's like a balance I think you need where like people can help, you know, shorten that learning curve, but you can't. I don't think you can ever get around the short. There's no shortcut for experience. Right, right. Um, yeah, you can definitely nowadays. There's there's good uh, information out there, mm-hmm. but you know, back then it it was few and far between were the the rules. So I would build strategies. I would test them. I would put them in the markets. They'd lose, but eventually I started getting smarter at the way I was doing things. And I came up with a process that I actually still use today that uh, takes you from your trading idea, whatever you think you might want to program. And it, it goes through all these different tests that you try or you know, that you just operate the data. You know, you put the data, the historical data. Sometimes you use some of the data. Sometimes you use all the data. There's special test techniques. And, and what comes out the end is usually garbage because it won't work, um, especially especially once you include slippage and commissions. Right, right. Uh, most strategies just do not work. But every once in a while, you'll get one that works. And, uh, you know, so, for example, I just ran uh, last year, I was doing a research project. Uh, and I ran like 50 million back tests. Oh, wow. And I also, I also ran those in real time for a number of years to see, mm-hmm. hey, is there some way to predict with a back test what will work in the future? And it turns out there are some, some things. Hmm. But even when that's the case, uh, it's not like, hey, I have a process that 95% of the strategies I create make money. Uh, I don't know of anybody who has anything like that, but you don't necessarily need that to succeed. Mm -hmm. You just need to, on balance, have more profitable strategies or the strategies you have make more money than the ones that you have that are losing. And that's that's the real key. It sounds like the key is just being open to exploring new concepts and and doing it in a structured way to be able to to weed them out of the one you know weed the the bad ideas from the good ideas yeah that's that's a good way to put it because you really have to do a lot of testing Mm -hmm. and um you know like one thing i always do whenever I, i come across a trading book where somebody says oh hey this method works well i go and i test it and Lo and behold, most of the things that I look at don't work. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you any, know, and, any examples you want to share? <laughs> um, well, you don't I have to name uh, names, but yeah, yeah. Right, I won't mention the author, but there was one 
a guy who wrote a book and he's pretty successful. If I said his name, he'd probably know who he was. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a book and he talked about uh, something he called the cigar trade. Okay. (laughs) And this was uh, right then. It just reeked of arrogance that because what he said (laughs) was, Oh, after a day of making money in the markets, I, I sit back with a cigar and at the end of the day, and I want to make one more trade to make some more money. I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, okay. Yeah, but yeah. He detailed what it was. And uh, so I went and I tested it. And it turned out, actually, the opposite worked. But <laughs> what he said didn't work. And I actually traded it for a while and, and did okay pretty well with it. Um, and eventually, it kind of stopped working. Do you think maybe there was some nuance in there that he just couldn't explain well enough or was the uh, whole you know, idea that flawed? Yeah. I don't know. Or what he showed in his book was a very small snippet in time. And mm. yeah, maybe it worked over a two month period and you know, Hey, I've written books, I've written magazine articles with trading systems in nobody that I know who writes any of these things writes about their losers. Right. Oh, here's another system that loses money. Take a look at that. You, know, right. you always talk about the ones that make money. It's a shame because there's a lot more material on the other side. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'd, be, I'd definitely be a bestseller if I could uh, package all my loser systems together. But, you know, that's, uh, that's how it goes. But, yeah, so maybe it worked for a little while. Maybe when he tested it, it, it he maybe he did have success. All I know is when I tested it, it didn't work. And and that's the key. Yeah, yes. To me, yes. testing your own, testing for yourself because you, it's your money, you know, when you start trading it, it's regardless of what somebody tells you, you've got to have that confidence. You know, we talked about confidence earlier. Yeah. If you have the confidence that you know Hey, this I've tested this. I trust it. You're going to get a lot further with your trading. Yeah, I, I love that because uh, like every trader has their own personality. They have things that they do well. They have things that they don't do so well. And being able to figure out like where where you operate best and like those are the types of strategies you should be trying to gravitate towards. But it, it's funny because I I think that. I think that anybody that you try to copy and just do what they do, you're going to run into the same same issues because there are nuances to it that you're not going to know for yourself until you've taken the time to like thoroughly backtest it. Like with the the cigar trade that you mentioned, you weren't just you didn't just jump in, load it up onto a computer and be like I'm going to take this guy's trades. Like no, you you put it through the test and learn some stuff. I'm sure you learned something interesting from that experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, you're right. It's it's really hard to trade somebody else's strategies um and and, you know the same thing goes for if you were following a signal service or or something that sort oh i hate signal services yeah oh yeah that teaches you teaches you nothing why do you (laughs) yeah um i mean I I i used to offer signals i don't right now but i remember one time uh there was some guy who subscribed and like a week into it he emailed me and he goes you lost me all this money i'm like what it didn't even really go down well he was trading it like at four times the recommended amount okay yep and then um i said well you shouldn't be doing that and then the next week it made all the money back and i talked to him again and he said well uh i didn't believe your signals so i hedged them meaning yeah, uh, you know, he didn't. He he like went short somewhere else while while my signals were long, and so at the end of everything, he should have been up some amount of money after like a month, but he was still way down because he yeah. couldn't just follow the signals, and that's that's pretty common. But it is hard. It is hard to trade when you don't come up with the idea or you don't fully believe in it. Well, and that, yeah, there's, that's one thing is you don't have no conviction if you're just following somebody else. But I think, it, I think it's more of an emotional thing or deeper, deeper than, uh, uh, than it looks or, or sounds initially. Like, I think, I think the whole 
reason signals are popular is because people don't want to be wrong. And if they can trade on somebody else's ideas, that gives them an easy scapegoat. I wasn't wrong. He was wrong. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. It's That's not the kind of mentality that's going to lead to success long term, I don't think. No. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Now, it's funny. I had a a friend who uh, gave signals, and he had uh, what he called the, I I think he called it like the loser index or something, but... (laughs) He would track his equity of his signals, and he knew once he hit a little bit of a drawdown uh, at a certain point, that was the time to start buying because that was when his subscribers would all leave. So as soon as he would go to a point where he had no subscribers, he said, that's the time to actually get into this system. (laughs) And it worked again and again. People would ride him up and then you know, they were happy. And as soon as they hit a drawdown, they would exit. And that was usually right when the market turned around, but oh, it was pretty uncanny. such a brilliant, how people are yeah. so bad at that, but it's the same way with any stock or any commodity or future or Forex or anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, yep. people just make bad decisions. What's that, uh, that chart that they show with the, the fear and greed cycle. Yeah. Basically when people are greedy, uh, they're all signing up, and then that's basically an indication that the markets are overbought. And when they're running away, like the retail is the ones that usually tends to mark the highs and lows of moves, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I love that. That's such a brilliant way to to kind of have a, a way to measure that. <laughs> uh, how do you package that up? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, you almost have to get volunteers who. Uh, know they're going to be the loser guinea pigs. Right. And you, you tell this other group of people, hey, we, we're going to watch the losers and do opposite as they, well, I see, they do. I see people paying attention, a lot more attention now to things like FinTwit, Wall Street Bets, and Twitter. Like, I wonder if that's kind of the same idea behind that, is looking for indications of fear and greed. Yeah, it could be. Although, you know, if you look at like uh, Twitter and stuff, it uh, it's amazing how many trading millionaires are packed into one little community i know there's like very few losers on twitter like oh man yeah it's it's amazing and uh it's almost unbelievable but um you know it's that actually is i warn people i work with uh you know watch out for youtube and twitter you know it's you're just bombarded all day as a trader with how easy it is yes. and you know how big of a dummy you are that you're not making money when everyone else is and if you'd only buy this course or buy this signal or whatever right you'd be making riches and you know the, the, the amazing thing um there's a lot of uh, traders or educators who don't even trade i know i know it's nuts so over the past, I think past two or three years now, there's been three, I think it was three different trading quote unquote legends. One was in the Market Wizards book. Uh, another guy was uh, an editor, editor 
of a trading magazine for years. Mm -hmm. And uh, long story short, after they passed away, it, it came out that they never traded. Really? Uh, you know, like the obituary for one guy said, well, he was a true trading genius who never traded. <laughs> I'm like, what? Wow. You know, because this guy would, I would talk to him on the phone every once in a while. And he was a little bit older and, and he'd lecture me on everything I was doing wrong. I'm like, uh, okay. And, and now I, I look at it as, okay, what was he telling me? He didn't even trade. Wow. But that's that's what a lot of YouTube and Twitter is. It's a lot of people who who just don't trade. And, you know, like I always say, there's, I know a million sim trading millionaires, yeah. but I know yeah. very few real money trading millionaires. That's why it's, I think it's, back testing is important, but so is the forward testing part of it too, because you have to be able to, I don't know. You gotta you gotta feel those those emotions. Like when you're blazing through a back test, I do a lot of them by hand, just because I like to. Right. I feel like I get a better handle of the nuance uh, when I get to actually like watch the rotations kind of more sped up, you know. But doing it uh, in in back testing like that, I can blaze through you know a day in like a couple minutes. Doesn't take very long. Like when you're actually sitting through a trade in real time, it's completely different. The experience, even yep. even if it's in yeah, I mean, you know, you look at that equity curve and you just, all your all your mind sees is lower left, it's zero, upper right, okay, I made a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. And your brain just kind of connects the two with a straight line, which, okay, that's great. Right. But what it tends to forget are all the little jitters along the way and all those little drawdowns <laughs> and flat yeah. periods. And, you know, as an example, I had a, I had a, a great trading year last year, uh, up around like 90% return. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I actually had four months out of the year that lost money. And at the end of every month, I look at where I'm at relative to my peak equity. Mm -hmm. Six of the 12 months, I was actually in some kind of drawdown. Oh, wow. So only, you know, only half the year, you know, scattered throughout the year, was I at like a new equity peak? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something nobody tells you about when you look at a back test or anything. You just see the profits you make. You don't realize that, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to to close the books at the end of six months out of the year saying, well, I'm still off my peak. I'm still not at a new high. Or right. for the months, I lost money in the past month. And, you know, that's hard. That's yeah. really hard. Most people, you know, because most people I've seen who get into trading, if something doesn't work and make them money in a week, they're done. Right. They're moving on to the next new idea. Oh, hey, this is garbage. It didn't make money last week. It should have. <laughs> the market went way up or, you know, uh, but people have really unrealistic expectations. That's that's well, I, part of it. I think I, I just don't think enough people do the exercise of back testing. Like it took me forever for somebody to beat it into my head enough to take it seriously. Like it's almost embarrassing, <laughs> but it, yeah. it gives you a whole different perspective. It, it becomes less about winning every day and more about understanding the percentages and probabilities. Like right. the majority Absolutely. of yeah, the majority of successful traders have what, like a 40 to 50% win rate somewhere in there. Like if, yeah. If you do that for years, you're going to have drawdown periods. Just it's statistically inevitable to have strings of losers that run much longer than you'd expect. Yeah. And, you know, and those drawdowns can easily be 30, 40, 50%. And, you know, if you look at a lot of the professional hedge funds and commodity trading advisors that are out there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, I, I doubt you'll find one with a, a 10 year track record that doesn't have probably a 20 or 30 or more percent drawdown. Right. And that's, that's tough. Yeah. Especially in the hedge fund world, <laughs> a lot less forgiving yeah. there too. <laughs> yeah. So you, we kind of touched on your background in aerospace. That's something that I really want to touch on before we uh, move on too much. Like, you have a background in 
you called it aerospace, but really, let's be honest, it's rocket science. You're a rocket scientist, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I actually did intern for uh, NASA. So uh, I was actually, when I worked at NASA, I was doing uh, equations for, you know. Order filled. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Not for order I filled. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah. When, when I was working for NASA, I actually did, uh, I was working on equations for moon uh, launches, you know, for rockets going to the moon. Oh, so how it cool is that? Was true rocket science. So that is so cool. Yeah, it was interesting because that was in the the days before, uh, you know, everything became just so super fast computer wise. So you right. still have to. Uh, I didn't use cards. I was I was past the the punch card. Okay, okay, but. It wasn't like we had really good computers uh, back then, so it was still kind of tough. But you had the five and the quarter yeah, floppies versus the three and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you mentioned when we were talking pre-call that it was actually a lot more boring than it sounds. Yeah, um, and the reason is is because when I but so my first job out of college, it was working for a defense firm, mm-hmm. and most of the projects I was working on were research and development. So they were funded projects, but they were all kinds of like crazy ideas. Hmm. And usually what ended up happening was you do some analysis and then the project would be canceled because somebody was like, Oh, I don't like that. Uh, um, okay. Uh, and, and that kind of got to me. Yeah. Um, there was one interesting project that was, I was working on and it was, uh, basically, the idea was to prevent missile strikes against like aircraft, you know, like commercial aircraft. Oh. And what it was was a device you'd throw out the back of an airplane, and it would try to get in the way of the missile and have the missile hit it rather than the airplane. So, oh, that's cool. Something like that that's was cool. really cool. Yeah. It never got it never got built. Um, so, you know, it, it was just another one for the garbage heap kind of thing. And uh, was, was any of those ones in the garbage heap, the, uh, the one that uses uh, basically nuclear bombs to launch a spaceship spaceship, like where they, um, they, they, they... I never worked on, <laughs> I never worked on anything like that. So that was one of the most fascinating things that I think I ever saw is that the government like spent a lot of time, like researching that to the point where I think they almost had a prototype ready to go. Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing how much uh, R and D work that the government would pay for because this was all government funded. Yep. Uh, and some of the just crazy ideas that people would come up with, and and the government would say, "Oh, okay, yeah, why don't you try that?" And you know, and then six months later, no, nah, don't do that anymore. And, yeah, I can uh, I can see how that would get tedious. Yeah, yeah, and then. Uh, you know, after I did that for a while, I, I moved back to Ohio and I was actually working for a company that made fuel pumps for jet engines, which that's a lot more mechanical than aerospace. But uh, at least we were doing stuff that actually got built. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was pretty That was pretty uh, interesting because every air, just about every uh, jet aircraft out there uses what our company made. So that was kind of neat. Oh, that's cool. Isn't it funny though, how like the, the jobs that sound super interesting, like when you actually like go and do them, they, they're a lot more tedious than you ever would have thought or not nearly as exciting. Like I, I have a background in nuclear power. Uh, I joined the military at a young age and got, went through the, the power program. But when I try to explain to people how, you know, a nuclear reactor works, they're like, Oh, that's it. Yeah, it's just a hot rock that makes steam. That's it. It's the same technology we've been using for centuries. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more. But yeah, it sounds a lot, it lot more interesting sounds when cool. you think about yeah. all that involved. But yeah. And that's probably true with uh, most fields out there. So Not rocket science, though. But not as long as Kerbal Space Program's around. I don't know how many hours I've lost playing that game. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's uh... It is kind of interesting. I mean, I used to work, it was funny. I used to work with people uh, and we would work on like uh, advanced fighter design. That was part uh, of what we do. And 
So people were playing uh, at lunch a lot of times. I think it was Microsoft Flight Simulator. Oh, yep. And a couple of the guys that I worked with actually found out, you know, that one was a, pilot, a, a private pilot. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, this, this game just isn't feel, doesn't feel right, you know, when you accelerate or something. Mm-hmm. And um, knowing, you know, he had a background in aerospace, was a private pilot, was playing this game and realized there's a bug in the game and it turned out uh, they were supposed to, the game should have uh, used velocity squared in oh. some equations and they only used velocity. So <laughs> you, well, it was, it was causing this issue with the game and they actually got in touch with the Microsoft people. That was back when you could do that. Right. And they actually fixed it. Oh, Cause they were like, oh, you're right. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I think you had to be a pilot, though, to really feel, to notice that, that it wasn't handling the quite the same way. No, but. Uh, for sure. I never noticed. <laughs> I mean, I, play, I think <laughs> I played the flight simulator games as a kid. <laughs> um, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you then to kind of tie in the, the your background to your trading. Uh, and it was a conversation I had with somebody, uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was maybe six months to a year ago about the people that struggle the most are the people with uh, the engineering backgrounds because they want everything to be black and white. I was curious if you had uh, similar issues or, or if uh, you felt that your background is actually more of an asset than a, the hindrance. Yeah. The, um, the good part about engineers, scientists, uh, even, you know, uh, numbers, people like accountants, that kind of thing mm-hmm. is, that you like numbers, which are a big part of this, but the bad part, especially for engineers, and I tell every student I work with who I know has an engineering background, I say, look, this is gonna be an issue for you, is the perfectionism Mm. that engineers need. Uh, And it's kind of similar to the black and white thing. Engineers want an answer. Yes, this bridge is not gonna collapse. Uh, you know, there's a safety factor. So this is, this is going to work. Right. And the problem with trading and trading systems and back tests is there is no way to get perfection. Uh, and, and actually you don't even want it because let's say you could create a perfect back test. So much of it's noise, it's never going to work. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, it, I have to, spend a bunch of time usually retraining the brains of of uh, engineers and some of them you know get quite mad at me you know like i know there was uh, i had a student who was down in florida who would build uh buildings mm-hmm. you know he was like a, a civil engineer and he was very good at it because he was telling me all about the the uh, hurricane forces and you know, you got to worry about the, the sand and uh, all this stuff. And he was great at that. But when it came to put it into trading, he wanted that same rigor. Mm-hmm. And like, no, it, it's just not like that. And, and I actually then tell people it's not rocket scientists, rocket science. You know, rocket science is, hey, there's uh, equations. And if you do them right, you'll get to the moon. Right. Well, trading you might have equations, but they're not going to get you to profits necessarily. It's more like quantum mechanics than anything else, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all, all outcomes are possible, just with differing or varying degrees of probability. Right, and um, you know, and and the tough part about trading and backtesting is when you're backtesting, really the only thing you see are the backtest results. Mm-hmm. So. It's just natural that you're going to want to make those as good as possible. Right. Yep. And, um, you know, my, for me personally, I, my, one of my big breakthroughs was when I had a list of here's, here's what I want for performance. And when I hit it, even though the equity curve kind of looked ugly, I just stopped. Mm -hmm. I said, well, this is what I wanted. I'm not going to try to make it better. And that was a big turning point for me because, I was like, oh, hey, I don't have to make it perfect. Right. And it works. But yeah, so engineers are, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're tough a lot of times. And since I'm, I am one, 
I know exactly because I went through it all. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I went through the same thing. Like what you talked about with trying to optimize your data, like getting sucked into that trap and then watching it fall apart the first, you know, three weeks that you take it live. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell happened? Yeah. This thing was perfect a week ago. <laughs> yeah, this couldn't be me. And, you know, it, and you think, well, hey, even if it works for a little while or even if I get a quarter of the profit that my back test showed, I'll be happy. Uh, and it just never works like that right you know, whenever you try to bargain with the market uh, you know the market's just like no i'm just gonna take your money <laughs> yeah market doesn't hear you <laughs> yeah as um looking through the book that you'd sent me the the beginner's stock market investing blueprint I'll make sure there's a link for mm -hmm. that in the episode description uh you, a lot of the focus in there is uh about teaching your kids to invest i'm curious like, did they have, like, did you get to them early enough to where you were able to instill all the good habits right from the beginning? Or did they still have issues that you had to help them work through? Um, no, actually, they're pretty good. So they were all like preteen or right around teenage age when I started to uh, talk to them about it. And mm -hmm. it really wasn't from a, a trading point of view, because to me, trading and investing are two different things. Right. Uh, but you know, I, I just kind of said, Hey, you guys, you know, you know enough about the world that, you know, you've seen companies that are good. Mm -hmm. And it turned out most of their companies were computer related because they were all into computers and gaming and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. And well, that's, a, that's one good way to actually see, you know, that goes back to Peter Lynch who, who said, Hey, if, if you think the company's good, then you know, that's a good sign. Yeah. And so, so they didn't really have any bad habits and uh, even going forward now uh, they're pretty good. We don't look at their portfolios too often, especially like this past year Yeah, because obviously things suffered, but uh, you know, they know they're in it for the long haul and I keep telling them, Hey, this money in 20 years which, you know, as a kid, you can't think 20 years I know, out, right? I think this will be a nice little nest egg of something you can do something with, but you just got to pick some good companies. And then if things are going haywire and you want to switch, you know, I know they, uh, they, uh, they all were, I believe in, was it Activision? Oh, I yep. think. And there was some kind of, there was some kind of, uh, scandal with their ceo oh yeah yeah and um they all picked up on it and they were all like yeah we want out we want to sell and so i was like wow i didn't even because i don't follow activision um but they did and uh yeah so they uh, they're able to kind of make some good decisions they probably don't do enough with it but mm -hmm. i figure anything at this point uh is great you know when i was their age I wish right. I would have had somebody, you know, like my parents, they were kind of old school and they'd invest, uh, not even invest, just put all their money in CDs. Yeah. And I remember my mom just going around shopping different banks all the time for the best rate. Uh, she was very cautious, but at the same time wanted to try to maximize gains, but never really played. She didn't start playing with the stock market, believe it or not, until she was in her 60s. I, I believe it. And, I believe it. Yeah. And, and it was mainly mutual funds, but she was, then she became like uh, an investing maven. You know, she was like, <laughs> oh, it was, it was amazing. I'm like, why weren't you doing this 30 years ago? But right. back then it was a different, it was a different world. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, just yeah, which, to, to execute any sort of trade 20, 30 years ago was way different than it is today. Oh yeah. I mean, you'd have to call up your broker and then you'd get hit with this huge commission right. charge. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I wish when I was that age, I would have been uh, investing and knowing about it. Probably would have saved myself uh, a lot of market tuition those first five, 10 years. Oh, market tuition. I love I love that term. Just can't get away from it, can you? Yeah, and it's absolutely true too. I mean, the, you know, you try to cheat on a back test, and you say, "Oh, nobody's going to know." Uh, the market knows. I don't know how it knows, but boy, it always <laughs> figures it out. Oh God! 
Uh, I'm looking through some of the, the common mistakes in here because I think this might be a good way to, to, to wrap this up as we're getting towards the end here. Uh, the second one on here is something that I, I know that a lot of people struggle with. I've struggled with it in the past, uh, but treating paper profits as play money. It's mistake number two in this book. Yeah. How do you get around that? Like, How do you put yourself in the mindset that this is real, not not play money? It's... You know, that it's tough. It's really tough. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people never get over it, honestly. But I think for me, with at least with futures, uh, the only number I ever look at on my statements is that net equity down at the bottom. So that includes open positions mm-hmm. and, you know, your balance. So that's always the number to focus on. I never look at just open profits or just close profits. I look at that net equity mm-hmm. and I think it's harder to do in stocks. And, you know, I remember, I don't know how many years ago this was, but uh, I remember Kramer, Jim Kramer was touting uh, Lenny Dykstra, who was, he was a baseball player turned supposedly option guru mm-hmm. and how he was doing so great. Uh, and he was showing all these profits. Well, what he was doing was he just wasn't uh, closing out his losers. And so, ah, smart. you know, yeah. <laughs> and so he showed these great, oh, yeah, I made money on all these. But he never would get rid of the losers until I guess they'd expire. Or, or even then, I think he just kept rolling the position. Right, um, right. And, and I think that's a lot of people do things like that where they just refuse to. It's not a loss until you sell. Right. <laughs> right. And, and I guess if you, you stop doing that and say, okay, well it's the equity. It doesn't matter if it's open profit, closed profit. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's your money. And if you were to sell it right now, you'd get that money. And that's, that's the way you really have to think about it. And unfortunately a lot of people don't. And, they have that gambler's mentality of I'm going to let it ride, you know, right. Uh, right. I've got all, and, and then you get up stuck. Uh, Cause you're looking at, Oh, it was here. I'll just, when it gets back to there, then I'll sell it. And then it gets back up to there. And then you think, Oh, why would I sell it now? It's going up. And then it comes back down and you think, right. Oh, I should have sold it there. If it gets back there, I'll definitely do it this time. And then it never does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly that's exactly how it goes for most people. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've got that written down, that inner monologue, many times throughout my journaling process. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's, uh, but if you treat if you just treat everything as just equity, and forget about if it's open or or whatever, I think you'll be a lot better off. I think one of the things that helped me uh, take the paper trading seriously was to have like actual like goals assigned to it, like not only goals but like conditions like that had to be met on passing those goals too. Like uh, if yeah. I'm paper trading uh, because I either I'm testing a new strategy or it's because I've had some drawdowns and need to regain my confidence, I have a profit goal that I'm trying to hit, and then if I hit that, then then I know that okay, I'm ready to go back to the next step. There's a consequence to it. Like I have to hit this target in order to move forward. So it, it yeah, it, adding some consequences I think really helps. Yeah, and that's probably a, a good way to do it. What's nice with uh, futures now? You'd mentioned mm-hmm. trading uh, the mini S and P. Now there's the micro mini. Oh, that's what I trade actually. A yes, tenth, <laughs> a tenth of the size. Which um, you know, I tell people, hey, if you're going to trade and you want to trade small, just do those. Uh, that's a great way to have real skin in the game. Yep. You know, compared to just paper trading, and you get real fills, and you you start to experience some of that. Some of the real uh, emotions. Money aspect of it, yeah, and and that can't be beat, really. I love the micros. I don't know that I'm. I mean, it might be a while before I move away from them. I think I'd have to be trading some real big size to get to not want to trade those because I like the way you can optimize your risk with them. And this is something that we talked about a lot in our Discord uh, with Purdue. But like, I can get you know, I can't buy 1.7 mini contracts, but I can buy 17 micros. And right, like when you're talking about the difference between one and five minis, like that's a much like the difference between two contracts and minis is much wider than the distance between two micros. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I can get that optimization a lot better. Yep. Yeah, it's nice. The only bad part is obviously the commissions, uh, commissions are don't yep. fail. Yeah. But if you can live with that, that's for a lot of people, that's probably the better way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that Because I run into that with just the normal futures. You know, you go from one crude oil contract to two. It's, right. you know, that's a huge, huge jump. And where <laughs> yeah. I'm like, boy, I'd really like to get like one and a half crude oil or, you know, you do things like that uh, just to balance out. Uh, or even if you're trading one, like you'd be nice if you can take some profit along the way. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe I want to sell half of this here and then let the other half go for a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, yeah, you can't do that with the minis. Or, well, you need a lot more money to do that. <laughs> right, right. It's just, it's you just can't get the resolution on the, that yeah. position sizing that you really want a lot of times. And that's the one yep. nice thing about Forex, you know, you can go, all different kind of lot sizes, but you know, then Forex obviously has its own drawbacks. Uh, I have not touched Forex yet. And I haven't, I don't know if I want to go into that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I've done some of it. I do some of it, but mainly I treat currency futures because it's on a regulated mm-hmm. exchange. And, you know, I've just heard too many horror stories about people who get a fill and then their broker says, Oh no, that wasn't the fill. It's actually this price, you know, especially during like market shocks because you're trading it. A oh. lot of them you're trading against the broker and uh-huh. you know, the broker is going to do whatever they can to stay in business. So they reprice yeah. things and I don't think it's as bad as it used to be, but it's, you know, and, well, I take the, same, the risk if you don't have to though. Right. And the same kind of thing holds true for uh, crypto. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, even it's probably even worse because there are exchanges there, but they're not regulated and they can disappear overnight. And, uh, so yeah, people just have to walk out. <laughs> yeah. Or your, or the leaders could be, uh, indicted in lawsuits too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of risk, uh, in those kind of markets, but you know, some people still really like them. Oh, I mean, the volatility is what drives people to it, I think. Yeah. Uh, there's not very many markets where you see, I mean, just look at the, look at a, a daily chart of Bitcoin, look at the swings and the peaks and valleys over the last year. Like, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities there if you're just looking for movement. All right. Uh, Kevin, this has been a blast and we didn't even really get to talk too much about uh, the, the experience and the, the World Cup of uh, futures trading, which kind of wanted to cover. So maybe we'll have to try to schedule a part two for you here. Okay. Yeah, sure. I'd be uh, more than happy, happy to do it. All right. You have anything that you like to leave the the listeners with? Where can they, where can they find more about you? Um, best way is just go to my website, kjtradingsystems.com. Or if you're on YouTube, just type uh, Kevin Davey into the search box and it'll come up. I'll be somewhere near the top. and uh, It was the top when I did it. Yeah, well, that's good. And it's working. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. I do a lot of videos. I try to do a couple new videos uh, a week on just various algo trading topics and, um, uh, you know, try to educate people and hopefully not come across as, uh, you know, like, oh, man, you can make a million dollars in a day. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if anything, I tend yeah. to be too uh, too brutal in, in telling people how tough it is, and I get people who uh, get pretty mad at me. If I'm not hearing somebody say that anymore, talking about the type of work that you're going to have to put in, then I don't want to listen to them anymore. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that's where I've come on my journey. Yeah, like, I'm not I'm not putting up with those get rich quick type people. Yeah, it, it's uh, and the crazy thing is, even if you do everything perfectly right. You could still lose money. I mean, yeah. you could put all the time in and there's still no guarantee because the, the markets are just so random sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, was that saying the markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent? Right. And that's exactly <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Kevin, for, for uh, setting this up. Like this was like you found me. I, I'm so grateful that, that you thought of me when you were putting together the list of podcasts you wanted to come on. Uh, and thank you to everybody else for sticking around to the end of this. 
Uh, if you'd like to know more about Kevin, uh, you, you can check out his website at kjtradingsystems.com or you can uh, visit his YouTube at Algo Trading with Kevin Davey or just uh, type in his name in the search bar. It'll be at the top. You can check us out at twobullsinachinashop.com. Uh, we'll be back in your ears soon with another exciting episode. But until then, punch that five-star rating in the face like Mike Tyson in his prime and take care. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.